seekers, explorers and renegades out there. Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. Today we're joined by Zach Jorgensen, who's a personal finance, real estate and responsible debt educator. He also hosts the podcast DIY Wealth. In today's episode, we're discussing the wealth mindset or abundance mindset, if you like, and what are the elements that come goes into that mindset? Uh, obviously, with our today's traditions, we uh, kind of consider wealth as being materialistic wealth, but there are more aspects that come into it than that. And we'll talk about some ways of uh, using the real-world practicalities in order to help build that mindset, build that resilience, build the practices and so forth to have an abundance mindset and to be able to live a rich, full and uh, life without suffering uh, in terms of wealth and abundance. So here we go. Enjoy. So today's quote is coming from Stephen Richards and his book, uh, Cosmic Ordering, You Can Be Successful. The only time you fail... is when you fall down and you stay down. So oftentimes when we're talking about, you know, growing wealth or, you know, uh, developing your business and so forth, a lot of times failure, uh, fear of failure is the uh, one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks for um, having the right mindset when it comes to uh, growing wealth or growing uh, your business uh, and so forth. And so the, uh, being able to define what failure means to you in a way that is going to be, be beneficial to you uh, is going to be one of the first steps. And uh, for us uh, with us today to talk about wealth mindset is uh, the host of uh, the podcast DIY Wealth, Zach Jurgensen. And Zach is a personal finance, real estate, and responsible debt educator. He currently hosts the podcast called DIY Wealth, focused on providing free content to share in his uh, self-learned wealth accumulation, accumulation journey, allowing others to learn and take action on their own money management and financial goals. Zach is uh, one from being a fair amount in a fair amount of bad debt with the poor money management and financial behavior patterns in his early 20s to a mass net worth of $1 million by 31 through self-education. So welcome, Zach. Chris, thanks for the introduction and uh, it's an honor to be on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. So do you want to give us a little bit uh, deeper insight into kind of where you come from in terms of the entry point into the wealth mindset? Yeah. So before I even dive into that question, I'm really on a mission to reframe the idea of wealth. And if you go Google it right now on your computer, the Google term that will show up is an abundance of resources, dot, 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 or money. Okay. Is love a resource? Is contentment a resource? Is joy a resource? Absolutely. I'm trying to redefine the term wealth, especially in Western culture and society and this age of consumerism and materialism we live in and redefine it as wealth is an abundance of resources, both seen and unseen. 
that is a full encompassing picture of what wealth looks like. One of the more important things I like to focus on on my show, though, is getting people to that financial freedom so that therefore they can operate with more flexibility, have more of their time and pour their creative juices into the things that really matter for them so they can make this world a better place. So that was the first thing I just wanted to reframe. And then to, to follow up, what was the initial statement or question you had for me? Yeah, so if you want to share kind of your entry point into the the wealth mindset. So what we gave a little bit of a, a background there, but in terms of your journey, uh, how did you come to it? And uh, what were the, some of the defining moments? Yeah, so I would say my wealth journey is twofold. The first fold we can talk about is the financial aspect of it. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up in a good household, uh, victim of child abuse, I uh, had to testify against parents in court, um, in and out of the courts that like, it was a bad situation growing up, it wasn't fun. You know, a lot of people will go, oh, I wish I was back in high school, or I wish I was, I don't, I love being an adult, it wasn't a fun time for me, but it taught me to be very independent. The, the structure I didn't get growing up as a kid was um, I didn't know how to direct that anger, that frustration. It was misdirected. I was getting in trouble. I wasn't applying myself in school. I was getting bad grades. By the time I got to high school, I was kicked out of my house uh, working a full-time job uh, while getting my high school diploma. And I was aware enough to know I need to leave this town. If I don't leave this town, I'm going to be stuck working at a gas station and have two different women pregnant and like my future is going to go nowhere. So I signed up for the military, did all the military, and I still really wasn't applying myself in life. But we did a, we did a combat tour overseas. We ended up losing one of, uh, one of our friends and a bomb dog. And that shit just clicked real hard in my head that life is fragile. Life is precious. Yeah, you're 21, but guess what? You're not invincible. And the fact that it didn't even register for me when I went overseas to deployment, that it took the loss of life and the bomb dog for me to go, oh, I am touchable. I can fall apart and break. Um, it just made me realize how fragile life was. And I was like, I need to start applying myself to something because I know I don't want to do the military anymore. So I just, you know, I had one more year left in the Marines and I started picking up books. I picked up journalism books, photography books, science books, you know, theory book, you know, anything. And I ended up landing on this small book called The Little Book on Big Dividends. It's the easiest read. And I come from a financial base of nothing. And I just saw everything, all the numbers that started building and compounding the earlier you started. And I was like, man, even if I'm not 100% married to wanting to, to do this my whole life, this is something I did. This is a skill set that's definitely worth something here. Um, and so I ended up pushing um, my first uh, 10 shares of Bank of America I bought in 2010, which in hindsight, you could have bought anything in 2010 and, and made a crazy return. But, I, you know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was just looking, I was like, eh, there's banks everywhere. Like I'll invest in some banks and I'll never forget the number. Market went up, market went down, you know, all the emotions that come with that, especially as a sure. first time investor. And I'll never forget that the, the market closed. And I had $4.14 more than I had starting that day. And, I, and I, that was just another thing that clicked really hard in my head. And it was just like, regardless of how productive or how unproductive I am today, 
doesn't matter. This stuff did all of this without any intervention on my end, and it made me more money. And so that's what started this whole accumulation journey of intention. And that's the, that's the financial wealth aspect. We can get to the later, later leg of my life where I kind of really started reevaluating my professional life, my corporate life, all these other things and realizing like, this is, I have starved myself and myself in other areas of wealth because I have been so laser focused on this one ideology that's been Hollywoodized and fetishized in America. Yeah. And, uh, it is interesting because we've been talking here in the past uh, couple of episodes of the uh, the podcast about uh, awakening, uh, and it is interesting that you have these moments of, uh, in your case, then uh, rock bottom kind of situations where you you come to realization. It, it shifts your paradigm. It shifts your entire. Yep entire existence right so it is interesting that that follows through here and uh um yeah it is i would, I, I wouldn't yeah, even yeah. you know I, I i love having a dynamic conversation so i sometimes i like to come in and interject but yeah, yeah, yeah. i know you know you said you mentioned something the effect of bedrock like i i agree with that statement in certain scenarios but you know whether we view something as a good or bad event happening i think whether it's the bedrock idea or the epiphany idea regardless it's a moment of clarity it's absolutely an and it's a moment of clarity absolutely and it's not judging a, a good or bad thing it's mm -hmm. just from the uh, from the experiential perspective you are at this point where you are challenged at a very high level correct uh, that's a very would, good way of articulating that would be perhaps a better way of putting it but uh, you know from a uh, from the perspective that we come into the experience, it is a rock bottom moment. Now, when we come out of it, we look at back at it, like you say, with gratitude. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we have a different perspective to it, but someone going into it is going to view it from that perspective, I think. So it's, and it is, I, I mean, I've had that journey as well with the, uh, with the investment stock investment and all of that. Uh, I was, uh, I think it was, yeah, j just before the, yeah, 2006 and seven and half of the eight, um, I was day trading and. Oh no. Oh no, no. It was uh, oh, fantastic. I, oh, you know, okay. Uh, I just yeah. heard 2007, 2008. Yeah, 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 no, was, uh, but in April of 2007, I just had this feeling that something is not going to go right here. So I sold everything and I stopped day trading. And I think it was like four months later, everything <laughs> went wow. pear-shaped. You, you, you had the foresight. Yeah, it was, uh, that was uh, one of my uh, very clear intuitive moments uh, that I've had many of since and I uh, become, but I wasn't really conscious about it. It was just one of these feelings like, nope, time to get out of this. And I went in and I invested in a, in a uh, uh, letting agency instead. And that was uh, a better choice at that time, I can say. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And, and I, but I remember the, the mindset was like, okay, how much money can I make today? What's my return? And looking right. at all the numbers and, you know, I'm, I am an analytical person. 
so today where I'm kind of balancing the analytical with the more creative and the more intuitive, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's interesting, but definitely back then it was this idea of accumulating monetary wealth. Right. Um, Just and, that one focus. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, now, uh, as I've moved through my my own kind of uh, experiences, the idea of abundance is uh, completely different, um, and having balance is a, a lot more important to me. So, um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the other side of the wealth, and we can kind of bridge the two as we go along. Yeah. So, again, just for frame of reference, not close with my family. Okay. Learn to work extremely hard, be organized and disciplined in the Marines. Um, mind you, I have not dealt with any of my childhood trauma or baggage, you know, and then I get pushed right into the Marine Corps, which it was good for me. I needed it. Okay. But it's a double edged sword mm-hmm. and duality exists in everything. So, you know, whatever you want to look at, we can, we can talk about that concept later, but you know, for all the good that came with it, there's a lot of stuff that you have to unbox and work through. Um, and again, didn't, so I got all this boxed up trauma that whether consciously or subconsciously, I don't want to, I don't want to open it. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it at all. So what do I do? I start working. Um, so I went to, I worked at a bank for a year, uh, then, uh, moved out to Arizona, uh, got my ASU, uh, my business management and minor in real estate. While I was doing that, I was doing fitness competitions and <clears throat> real estate sales. I started doing real estate sales as a sophomore. Mind you, I'm older than traditional sophomores because I had already served. Um, <clears throat> and by the time I got to my senior year, I was like, I don't really need, I've kind of created my job security. I don't really need to go find a job. But again, just to reinforce to everyone, like it hasn't been a, a pleasant journey to get where I'm at all the time. Like my first year in real estate, I made $18,000. Like figure out living on that real quick. There was a lot of ramen noodle, you know, but, but then 18 went to 40, and 40 to 72 and 72 to 96. And then I started hiring a junior agent and a transaction coordinator and things were going good. And all of a sudden, like people really cannot ask themselves the better questions in life when they're worried about surviving. You know, I was always in survival mode. And once I got to a point where I had a nice large cash pad sitting in the bank, knowing I don't have to worry about water. I don't have to worry about electricity. I don't have to worry about paying the rent. I don't have to like, if you don't have to worry about that, I think it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs or, or yeah. So we live in a system where like, if you can't take care of those things, for the foreseeable future, like six months plus, you're not someone that's going to be asking yourself the better questions in life. And so I got to that point and I was just like, man, like people are starting to irritate me and get on my nerves. Like this isn't fun for me anymore. And I just, just, I, I couldn't figure it out. And I realized maybe that was some type of like ethical or moral compass for me issue, because I would listen to people complain about doorknob handles and I went overseas and like, I don't care whether it's you, me, the homeless guy on the street corner, we all have access to fresh water in five minutes, whether you're homeless or not in a first world country. And it's just, I, I, 
I can't, I can't blame people because they don't know what they don't know. But after being like, shed that perspective on my world and like seeing how some people live relative to how we live, I was just like, I can't deal with this drama anymore. I had a deal almost fall out because of a bathtub plug once a bathtub plug. You're creating your own problems at this point. You know what I'm saying? So I ended up moving into medical device sales because I feel I felt it aligned more with me. I was like, this is solving a more real problem. If you got cancer, if you break your bones, like that's a more real problem. Did fine in that. But again, I, I promised myself I would be happy. I would be successful. I would be joyful. I would be all these things once I hit a million. Once I hit a million, then Zach's going to be happy. Then Zach's going to be good. And as I got closer and closer and closer to that number, I annotated my thoughts, my feelings, where I was, and I wasn't getting those things. I promised that I had told myself for a decade that that these are the things I'm going to get when I hit this number. And as I'm approaching this number, it's like, if I don't feel this now, am I going to feel this at two? Am I going to feel this at 4 million, at 10, at 100? When do I get those feelings back? And it, the reality is like, I lied to myself. And I think a lot of people lie to themselves. I don't think, I don't, it's, I think some of it is done just because of pre-programming and what we're born into. And the other side of it is just not having those clarity moments or not having those questions of why, why am I doing these things to myself? And I reached that inflection point And I was like, I need to change something dramatically here because if I'm not feeling this here at this level, at my age, when am I going to feel it? And so I really started diverting down to Eastern philosophy, Eastern medicine, meditation, things like that, which have helped me exponentially. Um, and just reframe this idea of what wealth is. And like, I was starving myself in social wealth. I was starving myself in time wealth. I was starving myself in physical wealth. I was starving myself in, in psychological wealth. Like these are all pieces of wealth that encompass wealth. But again, we hear this word wealth today and we immediately tie it to money, coin, hard things, assets, material. We need to pull off of that and understand all of the wealths that I just talked about. Yeah, and I, I think that's where I tend to prefer the word abundance. Sure, I, and I can understand why. Because people yeah. immediately tie wealth to money, material, and mm -hmm. like, yeah. So I totally understand why you prefer the term abundance. Yeah, and because people will more readily ask themselves, what is abundance, you know? Um, and it's, uh, so looking at your experience as you, you're moving through this, and I, I think a lot of people here and a lot of people that listen to this podcast uh, do resonate with that journey, kind of asking, start to ask the big questions, you know, who am I, what am I doing, what am I, what's my purpose and so forth. But it is interesting that we, again, talking about the awakening situation or the situations where we awaken to our own uh, experiences, um, and some people have spiritual awakenings, other people have uh, social uh, justice awakenings, environmental, uh, ecological, whatever it may be, sure. but that's kind of the starting point. So it sounds to me that you had one of your challenges was seeing the disparities between the developing world and uh, the industrial world. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just, you would not believe the things we take for granted. Like I got back home carpet, carpet. I took, I felt it again and it just felt different mm-hmm. because it was taken away from me. I didn't have carpet for seven months or bathroom stalls, bathroom stalls, just, just like bare bones decency, you know, and respect in our world that didn't exist over there, you know? And, and like, and you see, you see social norms and cultural norms there where women don't have rights. And like, you know, you see a kid just get the shit kicked out of him and like, it's normal. And you're just going like, uh, like, are we going to intervene? No, we can't. Okay. We got rules of engagement. We have to like, that's their culture that, that they're allowed to do that. Like it was just a complete shell shock to me because again, I wasn't exposed to it. And then I got exposed to it. And then I come back here and I see what people complain about. And it's just like, man, I would love to just throw you in the middle East somewhere for two months and see if you can at least come back with a renewed sense of like, how blessed am I that I got the lottery ticket of just by being born in a country, a random lottery ticket of just being born in the right country. Like, um, yeah, that was a, that was a huge, and I still carry it with me today. And I even catch myself, you know, I'll catch myself bitching about something. And I'm like, dude, you have it so good in life. Relax. Life's amazing. You have air conditioning, you have food in your belly every night. Like there's a lot of people in this world that can't say that. Yeah, well, I live in the UK and we ha- we don't have air conditioning here. Not that we necessarily need it. <laughs> so we're a little little behind there, I suppose. But it's um, yeah, no. I, I one of the these kind of utopian thoughts I've had is like we should. Everybody has to shift around. Like during a five year period, shift around in like different countries and just experience what it's like living in you know you know in a maasai village in uh, kenya for example or you know where they they are perfectly happy and content but yeah you got to work for your food you got to work to get your food and the water and the firewood and all of that uh, it's a totally different setup or you go to a situation like a, in afghanistan you know where you have a totally different set of challenges and where you can it's societal norms of can be quite oppressive in our compared to our standards right right so it's so yes in those places the the survival is key right so they're looking more at okay what am i doing today to survive they're not looking at this accumulation of materialistic wealth right. uh, they are looking at the abundance of you know family abundance of eating abundance of uh, relationships and so forth that's where they're coming from right yeah that's a that's an interesting perspective and now that we're talking about societal and cultural things you know i, I guess i'll go to a little bit of a 10,000 more of a 10,000 foot level with kind of the things i articulated and talked about but um you know, I went to I went to Tulum, Mexico, uh, two years ago, uh, and man, just an amazing experience. And 
locals were super friendly and stuff like that. And I, I, I just remember seeing people with so much less than me just looking like they're just genuinely enjoying their day so much, so much more than probably your average American. And I even saw like I, I, I could tell who, I could almost tell who was from America. They were glued to their phone. They were frustrated about something. They were trying to email someone back this, that and the other. And then I would look across the street and homeboy and two of his buddies are relaxing, you know, eating tacos with a with a family member at the restaurant, laughing with beat up shoes on and things like that. And I had a little bit of an epiphany there that too. It's just like the person that's driving the Bentley is losing to the guy that's happier in the BMW, who's still losing to the guy that's happier in the Toyota, who's even losing further to the guy that's super happy with his bicycle, who's ultimately losing to the guy that's happy with just his feet. And that, like, I thought of that in my head and I was like, man, it's so true. Like, if you can be that person where you're just happiest with your feet, you're the one that's really living the wealthy life. You're the one that's really winning in life instead of this constant chasing and pursuit of more and more and more, which I think I'm someone raising my hand and at least saying, I think we have a problem. I think capitalism is broken. I think it's starting to so stress fractures. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a communist. I think capitalism is great. I think it's gotten us where it's gotten us, but it's starting to not work. Job satisfaction is decreasing. Hap overall happiness is decreasing. Yeah. Health, health standards are decreasing. Meanwhile, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, the middle class is shrinking. Like I did an I did a episode with Jeff Bezos. Guys worth 200 billion dollars, right? Okay. You would have had to have started working in 261 BC making $10,000 an hour with zero breaks to be worth as much as him right now. It, uh, it does put it into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? And so I, I, I think there's this awakening or movement or shift, which I feel I'm definitely a part of, where we need to start figuring out what enough is in our life. Yeah. And once you can find what that enough number is, then start pouring your creative juices into what you're doing with your show, what I'm doing with my show, inspiring, you know, hope, light at the end of the tunnel for other people, health, healing, trauma, all these other things. We all have greatness inside us. It's just it gets suppressed and it doesn't get tapped into because why? I'm worried about buying this. I got the new job promotion. So now I got to get a bigger house. Okay, now I got the bigger house and I got to do. And the crazy thing is like we, we do it. We do it to ourselves, but we're born into a world where advertisements tell you, Hey, I'll allow you to have this emotion or, or, or this experience after you buy my product, then you can feel this way. That's literally what we're born into. Or rather, there if is... you don't, if you don't buy my product, you won't be able to feel this way. Correct. So there's a fear of missing out on that emotion. Yeah. Why do people, I want to buy the nice car. So I'm attractive to the ladies. I want to wear the nice perfume. So the men's attracted to me. I want, I want in the nice purse. So other people know I'm successful. And the, the absolute craziest thing about it is if a girl walks by another girl with a nice purse, the girl looking at the other girl with the nice purse, her immediate thought isn't, man, I she's really cool. I would really love to hang out with her. She doesn't even care about the actual human being. She just sees the purse and goes, man, I really want that purse. Mm. So we're well signaling all these objects to people and no one even cares about you. They just care about the object that you own. Like it's a, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little out there. Maybe my brain thinks a little bit differently, but I, I, I think we need to really reevaluate 
what capitalism looks like in the future. And I don't have the answers to that. I'm just raising my hand going, I don't think a 200 billionaire needs to exist on our planet. I think there's enough. I think there's a lot to go around while everyone can still live a very happy, content and wealthy life. Absolutely. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, I'm going to let Barbie come in uh, in between here and we'll come sure. back to that uh, concept in a minute. Go ahead, sure. Barbie. Hi, Zach. Um, I agree with you on a lot of stuff. I personally have uh, lived on three continents and traveled to over 35 countries. And you're really putting the you know screws to the fact that I think it's really, really important that people get out of their neighborhoods and their little little kind of cubby holes to be able to go see what other people have. And um, absolutely loved swimming in that beach underneath the pyramid in Tulum. That is like one of the most magical places in the nice. world. But also um, one of my favorite countries in the entire world where it has that same concept is Fiji. Fiji was one of those places where everywhere you go, everyone is like, Bula, Bula, thank you for coming to our country. Thank you for visiting us. Thank you for being here. And you could just see the light in their eyes about how they were just so happy because they had the ocean and they could just jump out and go catch their food and they could, you know, it was mm -hmm. just something of where there was just so much joy, but they did a sociological study that once they started sending all the westernized magazines to all the people in Fiji, a lot of the women started having eating disorders. They started shifting the way that they looked at beauty, et cetera. Because really? um, most of the people there are East African or they're from Sri Lanka and some of the most beautiful people I've seen in, in my entire life. But it was still, they started to shift their values as to what it was. So it was that consumerism of where it's like, oh, this is what beauty is supposed to be in the Western world. So now we want to start to emulate that. So it started to shift their culture to the point where they weren't really being themselves any longer. And that was something that was so unique to them was how beautiful just they they emanated this, this beautiful um, essence from their souls because it was genuine. And so I agree with you. And I think a lot of people need to have an opportunity to travel, learn another language, do other things like that. Because when we do that, we find the similarities between all of our cultures and we have an opportunity to bridge the gap. And what you said about Maslow is absolutely true. Internationally, we all need to be seen and heard, loved and accepted. Those are the four things every single human being has those needs. And when you have those things taken away, like Korea, I lived there for the for a year. I didn't even know how to use the bathroom. I walked into it, I was like, what is this squatter thing? Because <laughs> nobody teaches you and yeah. they don't tell you to bring yeah. your own toilet paper. And so it's like, you know, you get into these like funky situations and travel where you're like, okay, I need to think on my feet, but it's one of the healthiest, most amazing things. Because when you travel and you have to go figure things out out of your comfort zone, you also come alive in a way that you don't before. So thank you for what you're talking about. And I agree, there's lots and lots of spaces. And I think, you know, people really find that beautiful magic sauce for themselves and they go out and they emulate that. You can technically turn that into a career. You don't have to be a drone doing work for somebody else. Right. Well said, well spoken. And yeah, thank you for sharing your experiences. It sounds like you're a very rich human being as well. So quite happy, happy you're listening. And I was happy to hear, uh, hear your uh, take on everything. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Barbie. Appreciate the uh, input there. The, um, and uh, as you were saying about uh, the, um, uh, about Tahiti there, same thing in uh, Kathmandu in Nepal. They, you know, they didn't even have a concept of poor until they started building the roads into Kathmandu from India. So that you know, uh, and you would have crazy. all these, yeah, and you would have uh, these like construction companies come in and all of this, and they would then under start to get this concept. So it is really a mindset where poverty is a mindset. Yes, you can be poor in terms of 
uh, not being able to eat and so forth. But in terms of having your family and having friends and all of this, there is that is a mindset, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're lacking it, then you go out and seek it, right? So if you don't have friends, then you go out and seek friends. So you, you put yourself in situations where you can gain friends so you can build those relationships. So oftentimes it, it is that mindset. And I think this story about Kathmandu, like in the 60s, 70s, they didn't really have a concept of poverty. But once they started uh, bringing in, uh, you know, Western advertisements, uh, electronics and all of that, purely based on having built this road into Kathmandu, uh, suddenly people started to feel poor. And there, there was now a concept of poverty. Um, now, uh, actually, what you were talking about before in terms of the um, kind of capitalism uh, where we are now, yeah. uh, I'm involved here in the UK with a, an organization called uh, uh, Better Business Act. Um, and for those that uh, may, may have uh, studied it, will know that if you look at, uh, for example, the UK Companies Act, or in the US, be, uh, the equivalent, uh, public companies, the, they have to cater to their shareholders. So right. they have to, by law, they have to prioritize profits for their shareholders above all else yeah above all else so what the business better business act uh, what we're doing is um, lobbying the government to change this uh, the companies act to uh, prioritize people planet and profits above all else so we want to empower companies to go, go in and start looking at okay what are we doing in our community? So people are not only the employees, but also the people in the communities in that they are engaging, you know, where they manufacture stuff or where they have their headquarters. Um, you know, what are we doing to, in terms of our environmental impact and so forth? Those should all have equal status to making profit for uh, the shareholders. So the, yeah. the, I mean, the, not even equal status. I mean, it, it, we're overdue. I mean, I just, I look at the direction we're headed and believe I, you know, I'm 32. I don't know everything in the world, but you can only bend something so far until it breaks until it snaps. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And I, I feel like we are really stress testing our ecosystems, our environment, our planet, everything that we coexist with mm -hmm. without, and again, it goes back to just getting out of your comfort zone. Like if all you've done is lived in a city your entire life, you really can't understand the importance or appreciation of like the rainforests and, yeah. and how they are vital and so important to ensure everyone's literal life. <laughs> like, you know, it, you know, but we still keep chopping down the trees at an expedited rate, you know, and we, we got plastics in the oceans and like, it's just like, at what point are we all going to kind of stare at everyone that has positions to really start taking care of things and go, okay, it's time to start changing like now, like we should have started this decades ago. Mm -hmm. um, um, it plagues my mind daily thinking about these things, but it's good to hear stuff like this better business acts that's being done um, where you're just lobbying, lobbying because 
it's true. I mean, like, if all we're going to do is focus on another, what I call them are imaginary green things, they are completely made up. It is fiat. It is not tied to anything. And when you think the government prints more money, they're not printing more money. They're printing some of it. All they're doing is adding a bunch of zeros to a ledger. Doesn't sound so crazy to cryptocurrency if you position it just that way. 40% of it's been printed in the last 12 months. I mean, like it's completely, completely made up stuff, you know, um, but we let it control our lives and destroy the world and destroy our neighbor's livelihood all for what? The sake of another dollar. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not witch hunting Bezos right now. I'm just using him as an example because he's just the outlier, the outlier, the outlier. But, um, you know, inflation was what, close to 7% this year. They raised their Amazon um, Prime membership by 17%. And they, they, they said something to the effect in their PR campaign that they were forced to do it. They had no other option because of costs of inflation. And it's just like, <laughs> I, sorry, I, I have to catch myself from cussing sometimes. I cuss on my show a lot. But it's just like, you, dude, you're worth $200 billion. You don't need to increase your, like you've won. Congratulations. Like start, start <laughs> doing something with that money instead of hoarding it. And then now what happens? Oh, the feds got to print more money and then more billionaires suck it up. And then everyone fights over breadcrumbs. And what happens? The fed prints more money, more things get expensive. You know, how housing market, you know, it's just, I, I see so many people in my age bracket suffering, struggling, and I see older people and I see younger people. And it's just like, we could be operating so much more efficiently if mm -hmm. we just, we just had some guardianship on people. Like, look, you want to be worth a hundred million dollars. You want to be worth $500 million. Go for it. I feel like I've set the bar far high enough that most people will never reach or achieve that. You know what I'm saying? And like above and beyond that, like, let's start pushing this back into the communities and like, yeah, oh, man, I could keep talking about this stuff. Well, see, and th this is where, from my perspective, yeah, it, you can look at that and go, all right, well, what, what is, when is enough enough? But at that point, also, you have to allow that person to have their journey, from my perspective, anyway. Uh, you know, if Jeff Bezos wants to accumulate, you know, $500 billion, that's fine by me. Um, because we are, you know, as a collective consciousness, we are moving into these different experiences. And at some point as a collective, we're going to have that rock bottom moment or that mm. moment when we, and if we don't have these contrasts, like if you didn't go to Afghanistan and experience that contrast, you I would, wouldn't have that. Yeah, that bedrock or that baseline. Exactly. And yeah. if you didn't have the, uh, the the experiences growing up that you had, as you said, you, your, your gift from that was independence, right? Um, if you didn't have that experience, you wouldn't have been able to experience the other side. So right. yeah, if duality we, and everything. No, well, what you're saying totally actually makes, yeah, absolute sense. Like kind of kind of kind of parallels a little bit to my statement you can only bend something so far until it snaps because yeah. like yeah like you want to keep redlining that's fine 
at a certain point, the engine's going to blow or, exactly. or something's going to change, you know? So yeah, no, I, I agree with that. That's, that's a good piece of perspective you shared with me. And I think people, the only way people are going to wake up is for them to experience the, the quote unquote, or the, the other side of what they want to experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea that, you know, you, you don't know what you miss until you don't have it any longer. Yes, correct. Right. So you know peace with how can you know peace if you have not experienced war? Yeah, exactly. How can you how can you know good without experiencing evil? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need those contrasts exist in everything. I mean, even yeah. cars. Car yes. cars are an amazing piece of technology, right? Look at all the amazing things that have done. Cars also helped fuel and generate World War II and millions and millions of deaths. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's duality in everything. Absolutely. Um, and actually, I. I see uh, on the sidebar comment here, someone was talking about DeFi. Who is this? Cam? Uh, yeah, Cam. Is he still on? Yeah, Cam. Okay. Do you want to talk oh, okay. to him? Fantastic. Uh, if you got a question about it, I'm more willing to answer it. Or if you just kind of want to let me run off the cuff with it. Uh, yeah, it was more about you running off the cuff, really. I just, I just wanted to know what sort of role you see uh, DeFi playing in, in this sort of... Uh, I guess, uh, changing in, in, in the world and the way that the, the world operates. Um, it's a, obviously it's an up and coming space, but you know, where, where does it play its role? And um, I'm, I myself are involved in a community where they contribute a lot to, uh, where they've all made big gains, but they're into contributing for a community um, and they get together and they, and they do community-based things. So I see there's a strength is of community base that also then it allows people to, from this wealth to actually uh, go on to do things which help the community. But now I just wanted to know your thoughts on how DeFi will, uh, decentralized finance will aid this sort of evolution of, of change and, and power back to the people. Yeah. So I'm going yeah, so to- do, do you want to define that first and uh, give us a, a background to what decentralized uh, finance is, Zach? Uh, yeah. So de- decentralized finance is basically a movement um, within the finance community under the underlying technology of blockchain. And so when everyone hears the term blockchain, just tie it to this idea of, I'm sure people have heard the term Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Solana, maybe some other things like that. And so so Bitcoin, when it first started, no one... No one could really figure out maybe where the value was, this side or the other, but the underlying technology below it was where the value was being derived from. And now it's still a store of value in, in the digital asset space, but blockchain basically, again, duality and everything. So this could either be really good or this is going to be a further power consolidation and wealth grab. So I want to preface it with that. However, I am one, I am on the side of hopeful because people are tired and people want change. Um, and so, and it just, just to preface it, I hold real estate assets. I hold stock market assets. I also hold digital currency assets. So things like uh, uh, utility tokens, a- actual cryptocurrency, and then NFTs and things like that. Digital real estate, I own digital real estate as well. So in, in the space of DeFi, I have, I have, I have a very promising long-term outlook and value on it because just, just, just play with me for a second. Just think long enough, far enough out. Imagine being, you know, somewhere in Africa that maybe isn't the most developed right now. Okay. 
can you go walk into a Bank of America, a physical brick and mortar in Bank of America in, in maybe some in, uh, country that is improving rapidly? Probably not, okay? But with, with increased Wi-Fi connection and internet of things and all of this other stuff happening, you have these you know, smaller, smaller, less developed villages with less infrastructure that are getting exposure to this stuff that have never known our traditional banking system. They're being born into a world where all they know is DeFi and all they know is that, oh, I can send money through my phone on this. And you have younger generations getting exposed to that too. It's the equivalent of someone rather than being born into a world where horses were the primary mode of transportation. But now in the, 19, or in the early 1900s, now cars have become the primary transportation. And now not only cars are the primary mode of transportation, now we have kids being born into this world where we already have self-driving electric cars. We've already jumped a fuel source and we already have self-driving cars within 150 years. Like the rate technology is moving and the fact that blockchain is transparent, immutable. So, you know, there's a reason policymakers are pushing and making this shit difficult. It's because it requires transparency. We're going to know exactly where all your money is. And, you know, are you putting your money where your mouth is? Or are you getting your backhand, your, uh, your hand greased by corporate interests and things like that? Like, change is coming. And it, I, I think Ecuador just changed their legal tender to Bitcoin. Um, very early mover on that. We'll have to see how it starts. But, you know, uh, Bitcoin surpassed uh, PayPal in transaction volume this year. You can't sit there and tell me there's nothing here. You know, this, this is too big to be ignored at this point. So, um, but getting back to your DeFi point, very promising arena that I think is going to give power back to the people. And it's going to allow all of us to be peer-to-peer banks to each other rather than going to a bank and going, hey, you're the only game in town. I understand you're going to give me 0.05 interest on my money that I'm holding here. And then you're literally going to go roll the dice in the stock market and try and get a higher return for yourself. I, I think that's something people don't realize with DeFi too and tr the traditional banking system. The traditional banking system, if you want to hold your money there, that's fine. And they give you a really crappy nominal interest rate. They're, they're getting way better returns on your cash. They're just doing it in different ways and limiting your ability to go control and do what you want with your money. The DeFi space doesn't do that. I want to transfer $20,000 to my friend tomorrow. I can do it. You want to try and do that in the central banking? You get flagged. The IRS checks it. You got to wait five days. All these other things that happen where you're really not in control. There's a lot of middlemen and placeholders. So um, to, to over-encapsulate everything, though, Yes, very bullish on the idea of DeFi. I'm very bullish on the idea of digital assets in general um, because I just, people are fed up. And, you know, whether we're looking at zeros or ones or we're talking about freedom of speech, code is speech. And if you're going to suppress it in one area like China did with the whole Bitcoin mining operation, guess what? The rest of the world sucked up all of that Bitcoin mining operation. And now they're thinking about going back and changing those policies. You can't suppress speech. You can't suppress code. And code is speech. Yeah, and that, that's a that's a brilliant statement. I think uh, also really important in this space is the inability for anyone or any organization to manipulate the right. uh, the system. So because uh, and th this and this is a perhaps a conversation for another day. Uh, also talking about. Um, the uh, uh, direct uh, democracies 
where similar like uh, Switzerland has a, uh, some uh, semblance of that in that they do referendums for everything. But when you have direct power from the individuals into a system, uh, it is very difficult for anyone to manipulate that system. Uh, so now with the financial system, you have a bunch of, there, there are several banks or financial institutions, uh, you know, central banks and so forth that kind of sit with all the power and then that becomes very easy for them to manipulate the systems. Well, and we've seen it time and time again, whether we're looking at, you know, the dot-com bubble, uh, we could even go back further and talk about Volcker and the Fed interest rates um, back in the 70s and things like that. Uh, moving into the dot-com bubble, the real estate market housing crash, like there is a trend line here. And what is the trend line? Greed left unchecked under the supervision of a few, few wrong people, a few bad apples can have large ramifications for a mass populace. Yeah. And guess who ends up holding the bag and ending up having to pay for it? You and me, we, the taxpayers, are held with the obligations and burdens of people who want to roll, roll it or, or throw it all on black or throw it all on red and call it wrong. But again, it's for another dollar. So it's worth it, right? Mm. That's the mentality capitalism has. And like, we need to change that mindset. Well, the original idea of capitalism was that as if you have enough people that are wealthy and are driving the economy, then everybody will benefit. But it's it's actually it's <laughs> capitalist capitalism today is more similar to communism than it is the original version of capitalism because there are a few that sits with all the power and in uh, they are Not, tightly yeah, linked I linked to the. Uh, 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 politicians, so therefore they manipulate the system to maintain that power. Uh, and, and that's kind of how communism has worked as well. So, uh, but um, there is uh, the concept of uh, conscious capitalism, which uh, mm. is also becoming prevalent. And it's similar to the Better Business Act that I was talking about before. But I think it is important in terms of the wealth mindset. This conversation is important in order to deconstruct the idea of money as a vehicle instrument for wealth. And that's all it is. It's a tool. Like, yeah. that's, like when you pick up an axe, okay, if an axe is sitting on a table, does it do anything? Does it harm or cause good? No, it's just sitting there. If you pick up an axe, can you build it? Can you build a cabin for yourself? Can you build fire? Can you provide security or livelihood for yourself? Yeah. Can you also chop off your own fingers or, or lop off a leg with an axe? Absolutely. Money is a tool. And depending on who has that tool, they can create lots of harm or lots of good. And I think there's, like you're saying, this shifting, this awareness, this movement of things aren't working the way they're working because wealth consolidation, richer getting richer, poor getting poorer, middle class is shrinking. Like, you look at these companies like Walmart, like Walmart's lauded and praised as a successful company. In my world, it's a completely failed business model that's propped up by the government. You can't even pay your employees a livable wage and they have to go apply for food stamps. I am now subsidizing your entire workforce through my paycheck every month just so you can generate another dollar for your shareholders. 
but that's the long-term gain, right? That's the healthy idea, right? No, it couldn't be further from the truth, but we're deluded. There is a lot of delusion out there right now, but there, there is this waking up. And again, my, my whole mission and my whole goal at this point is there's a lot more to wealth than just finances. But if you can get to that point where you have three, four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000 a month passively coming in, and just adjust your lifestyle a little bit, learn to have enough, and then take some time, sit in your thoughts and go, well, how do I want to make the world a better place? For me, that goal at this point is helping educate people about how to manage their own assets and get to a place where I'm at, where I was able to get at in 10 years and be able to go do the things you want to do in life that matter to you, that, that are going to create a positive impact in this world that are going to motivate people and excite people and, and make them want to go do better and be better for other people and for themselves. Like, I think that's such a beautiful picture. And so that's why I'm so committed to the financial aspect of wealth. But I also pair it with no, 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 no. Like, that's not all of it. It's a small portion. I'm going to help you figure this part out, though, because if you can figure this part out, you can maneuver a lot more in this world of capitalism and consumerism. Yeah, and it's the... Um when we're looking at the concept of wealth in the, in those terms, it's you have to look at the uh, holistic aspect of it. You have to look at, you know, yeah. wh what is making me feel good. So the, I, the, the kind of mentality we have, or most of us have grown up with uh, in terms of the conditioning that we have towards the wealth mindset is actually a form of psychological abuse, I would say, because the way that we've been taught about money or wealth has created this mindset that is, has caused, uh, caused the situation we have today with, mm. uh, you know, uh, increases in cardiovascular, uh, uh, cardiovascular uh, diseases and so forth because of the stress that money causes people in general it's not yep. you know it doesn't cause the person that makes millions a year that same kind of stress as it does for someone at walmart for example that has to go get food stamps so right. that's where we have to work towards changing the mindset on of ourselves individually and yeah. i you guys will know this i always talk about you know, we have to change on an individual basis. We can't force anybody else to change. We right. have to make the decision to change on our own and show up as role models to everybody else so that they can, everybody Cascading else in our effect. communities, yeah, can see that, you know what, well, there is another way of doing it. Now, Cam, you've had your hand up several times. <laughs> so come on, you go ahead. Yes. So I was thinking, yeah, so I, I was thinking, I was trying to ask you, do, do you think that if people achieve uh, the wealth that you're talking about, there is a natural progression to become a better human because you are then focusing on things you can do as opposed to things you have to do to survive, that your creativity or your compassion as a human being uh, comes, to, comes to the surface more than actually because of the way we have to work and our consumerism? Or do you think people, if they, if they accumulate this wealth, will be just new rich people? 
Um, I work in the super yacht industry, so I work in the, in the high end of you know people with 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 lots and lots of money. Um, so you're sitting so on the yacht right now, Cam. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm, it's my temporary work, my temporary job at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I can say the uh, you look like you're in the uh, uh, the control room. Yeah, I'm in the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you don't mind, uh, I, I will take the, the I will approach that from the uh, the mindfulness aspect of it. But Zach, if you want to take a, a stab at answering that to begin with. Yeah. Um, first off, great question. Fantastic. That's the hard thing. I I think Chris and I are in agreement and alignment that there's a shift happening where there's people like me out there going, hey, man, like, it's okay to just not continue this relentless pursuit of I need more money, no matter what, because that means I'm winning. And like, there's, there's these through points in life, there's these commonalities, these codes, these laws that regardless of where you look, they exist and they ring true. Does one lion own all of the continents of Africa? No. There are many lions that have different defined territories and through it, there is balance that's created, you know, and you look at any type of animal kingdom, any type of ecosystem, any type of healthy functioning family or healthy friend group or whatever, what is there? There's balance and there's just extreme imbalance in the idea of wealth right now. And, you know, to answer your question, I think there's going to be more people emerging, stepping up to the plate, saying and going, I don't need $200 billion. I need my world to be better. I need my neighbors to be healthier. I need my family to be happier, um, rather than this just constant push to just, no matter what, make another dollar. Will there be bad actors in this process? Yes. Have there already been bad actors in this process? Absolutely. Will there be more to come? Yes. But I think there's this growing awareness that Chris and I are kind of hitting on just in different ways that there's, there's this movement of leadership, guardianship, protectorship, the wanting and needing to see my neighbor who I don't even know just succeed and be happier and live better. I just said, I think you used a very important word there and just it popped to me is ecosystem. And if we operated the world as an ecosystem, as us humans in, in that ecosystem, and we, we all see that we all have roles and those roles are stepping up to support the person next door, as you said, that we become part of, you know, the ecosystem is a food chain. It puts back into the, into the planet. Then we are playing our role in, in this world as a, as a part of the ecosystem, not against it or taking from it and not giving anything back. Uh, so that was just really, that word just popped really ecosystem. Well, if you take the the country of Bhutan, for example, they don't they scrap the uh, GDP, the gross domestic product, and they've now uh, got a gross happiness product. So they're really? looking at the value of their country is based on the happiness of their people. Now, so is it literally called GHP? I think so. Yeah. Really? Um, okay, I'm taking notes while you're writing. Continue, yeah. please. And. Uh, I, I think Barbara, you might want to correct me on this. Is it Dubai that has a ministerial post of a minister of happiness? So this idea of uh, countries being valued based on their uh, production level or their ability to produce material wealth is a very new one. 
and it was created in order to say, you know, this country is better than this one. I want to do business over here because they have a better GDP. Now, it's not for naught that now they're every year looking at who's the happiest country in the world. Finland has won that five times in a row, and I know a lot of Finnish people. I'm from Sweden, so I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm scratching my head on that one a little bit. But that's you know regional, uh, not animosity, you know differences uh, that we have. <laughs> Swedes are not that uh, joyous either, but it's uh, so we're looking at. I think there is a shift happening in terms of how we define wealth on a more macroeconomic and more of a geopolitical uh, arena. Um, you know, this idea that money is the source of our happiness, we, everybody knows that's not true. And as you say, said before, Zach, if you put your happiness at, tied to the million dollars, then your happiness, you're putting your happiness in the future. And then instead of the present. Exactly. And what happens if you put it in the future? It's always going to be in the future yeah, because you never attain it. Yeah. yeah the future Madness. is never going to be your present. I did that for 10 years to myself. And I'm oh, out here just being like, don't do it. I, I will did, help you I did financially, that for but don't years. do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got me beat. You got me beat. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot older than you are, Zach. Uh, <laughs> turned 50 wow. this year. Um, but yeah, it's this idea of moving into a state of happiness is looking inwards. It's starting, mm -hmm. you know, happiness, love, freedom, it's all, all free. those things exist within us all at this very moment. We just have to kind of uh, activate it within ourselves and, and put our focus towards it or our attention to it. And then it comes, you know. Um, so if you look at someone like uh, Nelson Mandela, for example, you know, he's sitting there 27 years, I think it was, in prison in South Africa. And he one day realized that freedom was not whether he had bars, uh, bars on the windows and, you know, concrete walls around him. It was all within his mindset. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, um, there are many powerful stories where people are just deprived of, quote unquote, everything or creature comforts or whatever. And some people, it leads to complete psychotic breaks and other people, it just leads to these just higher levels of enlightenment where it's like, I, I have everything I need. And like just being able to get to that level where it's just like, that's cool that that guy's got the Bentley, but I'm happier with my feet. I'm happier with just me being existing. Like that's the ultimate form of wealth. And I think it's, I think it's very hard for me to move off of that and potentially you, because again, what are we pre-programmed into? We're pre-programmed. We were born into a world saying, I let you feel these emotions. If you buy this product, then you get to feel those things. Then you get to feel sexy. Then you get to feel um, like you're successful. Then you get to feel like you're popular, but only you got to buy these things first. And so I think we're in this weird purgatory. I feel like I'm in this weird purgatory space where it's like, you know, 
it, it, is there higher levels of happiness if I got rid of all of my stuff? I, I don't know. I haven't fully figured that out yet. What I have figured out is you can learn to have enough. You can learn to be happy on much less than what Hollywood tells you or what the tabloids tell you or um, social media. I think social media has been very detrimental to a lot of people because it's constantly telling you, I need to be somewhere else. I need to be with someone else. I need to be enjoying that, that travel, that, that experience. I, and so you just get all these highlights of how amazing everyone's life is. And you're just absorbing that day in and day out while you're working. And it's like, why does my life suck so much compared to everyone else's life? Like there's this comparison narrative and like having the awareness of, of what you have, Chris, and what I have and what other people are waking up to, um, I think it's going to be an important shift and I think it's going to go down in uh, history as some type of transition phase out of capitalism and into something else. Yeah. Uh, and it is, there are, I know there's a lot of different movements around this and, you know, everybody thinks they have the, the solution, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it is going to be, how does the collective consciousness move in what direction does it go? Um, you know, I think if we, enough people come to the, the conclusion that, you know what, it's, I want to be happy. I don't care about making, you know, millions. I'm going to shift my focus to having balance. And you mentioned that before, Zach. Balance is the primary objective uh, yep. for me in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have two young children, I'm a single dad, and, you know, I physically can't, well, I could, I could work 100 hours a week, but then that would be at the uh, sacrificing my children and my right. relationship with them. So, you know, and I'm not willing to do that. There are people right. that, that do that, and that's fine by, uh, for them to do that and make that sacrifice. But the, to me, there has to be balance between, you know, doing my uh, pursuing my purpose, and uh, you know, I suppose for me, part of my purpose is my job. So it's having that balance within that purpose of what am I here to do? What am I here to achieve? And I, and I would parlay off of that thought, and whether your purpose is your children, your dog wanting to travel, wanting to volunteer, wanting to help other people. The, the reality is the most important asset you can ever own is your time, mm -hmm. not money. People think money is the most important asset. Mm -hmm. Your time is the most important asset. Absolutely. You can always make more money. There will always be more hours. The capitalism will ensure you can make more money. What's the one commodity we cannot buy, sell, change, extract, uh, exchange or trade for is time. And so the, the people we need to start emulating in this world are not the ones with all of the money wealth. It's people with the flexibility of time wealth, people yeah. that have that monetary balance to go do the things they want to do. And so whether that's I have the flexibility, time and effort to pour my purpose and energy and focus into my children, or whether it's my podcast or whether it's X, Y, Z dot, 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 time will always be the most important asset. And one of the easiest ways to get your time back in the society and systems we work with within is gaining reasonable financial freedom. Yeah, and I think it's that level 
and I think the danger is oftentimes that we compare ourselves to others. In yes. what it's we have to look at our own situation and say, you know what, for me to find that to achieve that balance, how much do I need? Right. You know, here in the UK, uh, it could be you know twenty thousand pounds, thirty thousand pounds. Someone else, it's going to be a hundred thousand pounds. But we can all manage our uh, outlays or our expenditure to achieve that balance. It doesn't mean that we, you know, having balance doesn't mean that we need to get to a certain point before we get that. Correct. Uh, yep. And it's, you know, the money that we do earn, how do we use that to create uh, additional sources of income? Right. right. So instead of perhaps going out and uh, going out to dinner and having takeout, you know, three times a week, right. take that money and put it into something that is going to be useful and take a cooking class. You know, sure. learn how to yeah. cook. And, you, you even know, that, yeah. Now you, and maybe enjoy. you start enjoying it. Yeah. Exactly. So you get even more out of it. You're double dipping there. That was a really great example. Yeah. Um, what, one of the things that um, I'm noticing, and I actually want to like get an actual scientist and like start start doing an actual study for it, but I've been asking, you know, I've been doing this podcast for about eight months. I've been asking all different types of people from all different types of backgrounds and professions and age ranges and whether they have kids or don't have kids. One of the common things I'm finding is I'm like, how much money would you need passively coming in to Go, go lean into the things that you want to do. Or if you don't even know what you want to lean into, just start thinking about how you want to envision the rest of your life or intentionally design your life. And through and through, people will start thinking, I'm like, stop thinking, gut instinct, what is your number? And people, like I said, I've talked to people that make over a quarter million. I've talked to people that make $30,000. You know, everyone always hovers within the six to $8,000 range a month passively coming they actually did a study at harvard i think it was 15 years ago okay and they said up until seventy thousand dollars a year the marginal happiness yeah yeah exactly so up until seventy thousand dollars a year uh the uh each dollar earned kind of increased the the level of happiness with one but beyond seventy thousand it started declining rapidly. Yep. I remember reading that article a while back as well. Um, but yeah, I just started positioning that question to people and I was like, don't overthink it. Just gut instinct would go. And like everyone, I've, I haven't had anyone. I mean, obviously you always have outliers, but yeah. a majority of the people that I've asked to hover between that six to $8,000 and look, you're like, man, where am I going to get $6,000 of passive income? Like that's something I figured out how to do. You know, I, you know, I didn't push all my money into 401k. I didn't put, and even if you do, there's, there's ways to use that money and leverage it through real estate um, in order to have cash flowing assets to you. And, you know, you find, you find ETFs and, and mutual funds that pay you healthy dividends that, that, that pay out quarterly. And like, they, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, like, you know, pe- people look at, you know, where I'm at, you know, my audience is sometimes generally a little bit younger or whatever, but they look at where I'm at right now. And it's like, you didn't, you didn't see the 10 years of what it, of the set paying off debt and, and investing intentionally, both are just as hard because you're, you're not using that money. 
Um, and so they didn't see me move to a house where I'm 50 minute one way drive from all of my friends and my lifestyle. That's how, that's how I lived for two and a half years, but I got into that house. It's all I could afford at the time. And then I rented out the two rooms. I didn't have any privacy in my house, but guess what? Now I don't have a mortgage payment. Now I'm saving up for another one. And then in two years, I have enough for another down payment go in I move into another one. And, you know, I, you know, only made $18,000 a year in my first year in real estate, but I still figured out a way to get money into a Roth IRA. You know, like I didn't drive nice, fancy cars, you know, even when I was in medical device sales, making decent money, like I, I could go buy the million dollar house. I could go buy the $150,000 car, but guess what? Now I'm locked into this stupid game. I don't want to play for another 12 years. I don't want that, you know? And so I, I help people adjust the sales and get real clear on, you know, what does a life of intention design look like in your world? And it's as unique as a, as a thumbprint, you know, if your wealthiest life is driving around the country in your pickup truck, camping in Mexico and North America and Central America, you're going to require a lot less money to intentionally design that life. Mm -hmm. Now you want to go eat pizza naked on a yacht with supermodels. Okay. Like you're going to require a lot more money to live your wealthiest life. I'm not saying either one of those are wrong, but both people are living their wealthiest life. It's just, you got to really sit down and identify what does my wealthiest life look like? And then from there, let's reverse engineer some of those financial goals. No, absolutely. The, the, it's the idea of what is appropriate for the individual. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, and Cam, you were asking before about the, um, you know, in terms of, if you become rich, do you have to be a jerk? <laughs> I think that was the, um, the, the gist of the uh, conversation. But I think if we all learn to move through life with compassion and start to apply compassion to ourselves and those around us, then this idea of comparing ourselves to others is start, going to start disappearing. And mm. Once we have compassion for ourselves, then we'll have that level of compassion to say, you know what? I don't need to have what that person has. I'm right. happy for them to have that journey. And if I one day have that, that's fine as well. But do I need that at this very moment? What, in order for me to achieve that, what do I need to do? Is that going to put me out of balance? If the answer is yes, then that's not what I need right now. Right. Right. So but it's how many people are that honest with themselves? I would well, argue not as many as you would hope. Well, and that's one of the challenges we have today is that to get people to ask themselves the hard questions and mm. do the work with themselves, you know, you, in order to make progress and evolve as a human being, need to sort out your shit as it were. You need to work your process. You need to yeah. go deep and go to those places that are uncomfortable, like you were saying before, Zach, and go into where it's dark and it's yucky and it's really unpleasant to be. But in order to, you, you need to release that in order to be able to move into the space where you, you do realize that the love is within you, the happiness is within mm -hmm. you. The freedom is within you and so forth. Um, we are keeping ourselves captive by a lot of these uh, experiences we've had in our lives. And, and we've yeah. all done it. We all do it. And it's sure. 
the the person that is going to come out of it happy is the one who's able to work through that process. Yeah, I I, I agree with all of that 100%. And, you know, I, it, it's funny, like, you wouldn't even recognize my early 20 year old self relative to where I'm at right now. Um, a lot of growth for me on a personal level has happened uh, very rapidly over the past two and a half years. Um, prior to that, very angry human being at the world, you know, surrounded by violence, you know, growing up as a kid and then in the military, like, you know, um, but where was I going? I lost my train of thought. You were just touching on the subject of, oh, I, yeah. And it just pains me because like I see people now in my new frame of reference in my new growth and like I can see people who are limiting themselves or who are putting themselves in boxes or who are not working on the things that need to be working, being worked on in order to become that better human being that is going to be a role model for other people. And then it cascades from there. Um, my heart's heavy with it, but you know, to the point you've talked about and, and I've talked about, like for every person that exists like me, there's other people in this world that can exist like me. Like there's a duality with everything. And so uh, it's just something I've kind of come to grips with, but I think overarchingly you and I still sit on the same sentiment that there is a larger push, a wave, a new wave of thinking that is coming rapidly. Yeah. And I think the, we, once you do that work, you come to a sense of calm with yourself. I think this manic drive towards the material wealth mindset is a form of coping mechanism because we don't have that calm and serenity within ourselves. And whenever I say the word serenity, I always think back at the uh, Seinfeld episode with the serenity now but uh, <laughs> for anybody who remembers uh, Seinfeld uh, but the being able to when you move into that space and you experience that for the first time where you can sit in meditation and everything just uh, is all right just by sitting there and, and stilling your mind yeah and you go oh this is interesting everything is fine yet I'm not doing anything. I'm right. just sitting here with myself, right? And that, for me, in a way, that's the moment when I kind of started saying, well, if that's possible... What else? What else is possible? Do you know, what, yeah. do I really need to aspire to have a Ferrari? Do I really need to mm -hmm. aspire, you know? Yes, mm -hmm. do I want to have uh, financial abundance to be able to do what I want to do, uh, freedom, have the freedom to do what I want to do. But at what point does it become that defense mechanism that you talked about earlier? Yeah, the coping mechanism, right? The coping mechanism, yes, yeah. correct. So, yes, the money I will accumulate, I can help other people as well. Mm -hmm. But is it defining to my, as a goal, is my goal, I need to make a million dollars in order to be happy? Right. In order to find peace. No, because it yeah. already exists within me. And that, absolutely that's the, and Richard Branson is a really a good example of, you know, he, the money just happened for him. The money was like a side or uh, 
byproduct byproduct of him doing what he loves doing sure he loves being out there and making a spectacle of himself he loves being out there making deals connecting with people uh you know creating products that and services that are people are going to be happy with mm-hmm. and the money just kind of happened right it was at least by his own account it was never the ultimate goal was wasn't to become wealthy it was just to create services that were going to help people and when you do that then you have a mindset that helps that the people resonate with and they're happy to pay you to uh, take part in those services right i agree with all of that and i think what unfortunately happens to a lot of people is those aspirations um those philosophies those ideas of you know i want to do better and be better in the world mm-hmm. money runs out time runs out and it's like all right I love doing this, but it didn't take off the way I anticipated the way I wanted to, or it's taking longer and expected. And my, my, my funds are running low and this, that, or the other. And what do you got to do? You got to look, you got to go look back at, you know, corporate life or, you know, whatever that isn't what you want to be doing, but you got to go do it. Why to get bread on the table, to pay the water bill, to pay the electric bill, you know? Um, and so I agree with the, I agree with, his philosophy on it but i i would say maybe he got a little lucky there um just based on just based on his philosophy and i i guess my philosophy is more like you know before people start building skyscrapers what do they do for the first year they figure out the foundation then they start building up you know and so i'm big on helping people identify like let's get this foundation built out of your financial house and then you can start building up. Then you can start going. And then the beautiful part about that then is just, it doesn't matter how long or short this takes. I love doing this. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And I still have money coming in. So I don't have to worry about it. I can still continue doing my crochet class that I love. And eventually it will become successful because I just love teaching people how to crochet or building kites or whatever you're into. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think, I think uh, people's dreams get stunted. Um, because, uh, I personally believe they do it in the wrong order of operations, build your financial house out, have enough, have enough coming in and then start building, you know, like something I don't really talk about, to be honest, this is the first time I talked about it, but leaving my medical device job and adjusting to my passive income, it was a hard adjustment. <laughs> like I was used to having all of that money coming in and all of this money. And I finally just went, I'm done. I'm breaking up with you. And then all of that money just disappeared. I only have my passive money. It was an adjustment. It was a real adjustment, but I'm happier. I'm in better shape. I, I, be, I have more time to pursue my podcast and help people and do the things I want to do. And, and, and again, that's the whole picture of wealth. Like that is, that is such a wealthier life for me relative to continuing that grind, being unhappy, being unhealthy, being stressed out, being anxiety ridden, having Sunday scaries, having tons of emails coming in that I don't want to read or deal with, you know, like it's just, I could go on and on about the ramifications of just continuing to do that to yourself versus just going, I'm going to rip the cord. I'm going to unplug from this. I got enough here and I'm going to figure out what I want to pour my energy and effort into in this world. Yeah. And uh, what you're talking about there is the, the transition, right? And uh, yeah. 
uh, if you look, anybody who is interested in hearing more about that can listen to our podcast from last week when we were talking with uh, uh, Scott Gazzoli and uh, we're talking about the transition from the uh, uh, kind of uh, the, the nine to five grind uh, to uh, uh, doing what you love. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right in that you need to build that foundation. But I think if you don't do the internal work, you're just going to go into another hamster wheel of, I need to suffer now, I need to be in pain now so that I can be happy later. So that's where I actually potentially disagree with you on. And, and my logic is this, if you haven't figured out that coursework for yourself, but you have a financial house built up, all you are allowing yourself to do is just say yes to more things. And what's naturally going to happen is the things that you want to keep saying yes to, you're going to keep saying yes to. And the things that you, that things that are meant for you to keep saying yes, will keep staying within your sphere or your ecosystem, therefore still, still being able to navigate, navigate and find your sole purpose. But I do agree with you. Some people can get stuck in, stuck in that hamster wheel or that loop, but well, that's kind of what happened to me. Like I started picking. I started picking up photography. I started picking up DJing. I picked up podcasting and I picked up, you know, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to learn to play piano. And like, I was saying yes to everything because I had all the time, you know, but I didn't really, really, really fine tune what I want. But for whatever reason, the podcast, I just kept saying yes to the podcast and everything else I started saying no to. Yeah. Uh, no, I, th I think I might not have uh, explained properly what I meant. It is important to build. Uh, so say you have, you're, you're dealing with your $18,000 a year, right? Yeah. But it is important to start building that financial uh, platform from whatever position you're starting out from, right? Yes. But it's equally important to, at that stage, not suffer because you are uh kind of building oh, that platform you I are see what you're saying. and working the process to understand that the happiness is within you and finding the happiness uh from whatever position that you are in yes yeah yes i that's i, I think you agree with. yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah i misinterpreted but that's what i didn't do you know that's yeah. where i continued the suffering and the pain going once i get here all the way over here then i'll be happy mm -hmm. rather than doing what you stated yes that's the biggest life hack you could do absolutely well the the pain is inevitable but the uh, suffering is optional i like that and that's true everybody who's listened to my podcast will have heard that many times before but <laughs> it is, i like that that's it is good, very though. true though uh, and that is the coming back to the the title of the uh, this episode, the wealth or the uh, wealth mindset. If you have a mindset that, or if you have an abundance mindset, mm -hmm. that whatever you have in your life life is your abundance, then whatever and that you can look at your experiences as being part of that abundance, then the pain that comes with any experience is going to be, uh, you're going to go through with a different attitude. Yeah, because you're reframing everything. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So Man, the, that's another good piece of perspective. Yeah. So that you don't move through things with looking at the pain, like, Oh, life is so Miserable. horrible to me. Yeah. But rather saying that, yeah, this is, this is painful, but what can I get from this? What can I learn from it? Like you were saying before, well, what's the gift? One of the, one of the analogies I give that's similar to kind of what you're talking about is like a lot of people don't appreciate art until it's actually finished, like the actual art piece. Mm -hmm. But like you got to learn to, to just enjoy the journey that is your life. And so like, yeah, maybe there's a brush stroke this way or a brush stroke that way. That is the painting of your life. And you're looking at it and you're confused and you're angry and you're frustrated and you can't figure out why the brush stroke runs that way or why this color is being used here or why that color is being used there. But at the end of the day, after enough brush strokes, after enough paint mixtures, after enough, enough texture layers and whatever, finally you zoom out and you look at this grandiose picture that is your life. And what is it? It's beautiful. It's art, you know, and like being able to walk through life and just have this idea that like the entire process should be enjoyable. Mm. There should not be extended durations of misery, of pain and anguish and suffering and sadness. Um, it's a very, I'm still working on it personally, but oh, I'm aware sure. of it. I'm aware of it. And like to be able to get to that point in life where it's like, okay, that brush stroke happened. And I know it's part of the bigger painting that's going to eventually reveal itself to me. Yeah, no, I like that. And I, I used that, the analogy of the canvas myself. Uh, uh, oh, long time. <laughs> great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah, uh, because uh, when, you, when you hit that point where things uh, change uh, or the paradigms change in a very drastic way, you're, you're at that rock bottom, right? Your identity is suddenly ripped away. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly you have a blank canvas in front of you. So the canvas that you had painted of what you wanted to create in the future or the visualized in the future is now taken away from you. And there's a blank canvas. And now suddenly you're going to have to start painting a new canvas. And if you start... Is that almost like a shedding of the ego? or Yeah, yeah. Uh, from that bit. perspective, yeah. Huh, uh, yeah. And... Now, instead of, we, we tend to attack the whole painting or the whole canvas and try to put the painting on it all at once. Right away, right? yeah. But you got to start <laughs> in the corner and just put some paint, some color yeah. there, you know. Do something, right? Take action, right? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I do like that analogy and uh, I like using the canvas myself. So, <laughs> so it's fantastic. We've uh, exhausted a lot of uh, uh, topics here and uh, very... And I, every time we go into a new subject, I'm like, oh, we need to talk about that. We need to talk. About yeah. That. I mean, to be quite honest, Chris, like I would love to coordinate with you again and, and um, help yeah. enhance your audience in, in any way, shape or form. Um, I've had a fantastic time. This is what we've been going, what, almost an hour, hour and a half. 40 minutes, hour yeah, hour and a half. Hour, uh, this is the longest I've gone with someone where the fluidity has not stopped. Well, there um, you go. That's so, yeah. So um, if you want to coordinate, you know, next month or, or something like that, I, I would love to come back on and, and, and cover other discussions and topics. Of course, you have to have another early morning. So 
yeah. I, honestly, it was good for me. You yeah. know, got to the, got to the gym <laughs> earlier and, you know, knocked out, <laughs> knocked out some other things. I, I usually like to sleep until about eight. Um, that's why I was really pushing for that nine o'clock. <laughs> like, no, it's not going to work. I'm like, okay, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. So it was actually good for me. So you, Chris, you um, were good for me today. Excellent. I'm very happy to hear that. Are there any uh, kind of final concepts that you want to impart in terms of the wealth or abundance mindset that uh, is going to be important for our listeners today? Yeah, I mean, you know, I touched on it at the beginning of it, but let's just, let's reframe what our idea of wealth is. It's an abundance of resources, both seen and unseen. Okay. The financial aspect is a portion of it. I want to help you get there, you know? Um, so ask me questions, reach out to me on my Twitter, reach out to me on Instagram, reach out to me, um, via my website, however you want to record a question on my website, I'll plug you into one of my episodes and answer your question, you know, like use me as a resource. I am a tool in your tool belt. Um, it is something I have gotten good at and I was able to intentionally design my life at a young age. But again, this is one area of wealth. Okay. I'm focusing on it. I I'm helping you. I'm someone you can lean on to, to work on that financial wealth aspect, but by no means or any stretch of the imagination is that a majority of the slice or even a quarter of the slice. It is a sliver of an entire pie that is your wealthiest life. And then a lot of that comes down to sitting in your own thoughts, identifying the things you truly want out of life and merging that with that reasonable financial freedom. Fantastic. Well, appreciate that, Zach. And uh, uh, the uh, we will put the uh, your contact information in the uh, episode notes, um, or in for everybody who's in the in the uh, group and the Telegram group. We'll put the contact information there too. Barbie, you wanted to come in here. I, yeah, I just wanted to just kind of chuckle because it's, it's, I think a lot of the, you know, I mean, the topic of this was about abundance mindset. And so basically, as I was on this call, listening to this, um, I'm going to Arizona for an amazing um, media week in the middle in Camelback in Scottsdale. So, um, but I didn't want to stay at the Airbnb. So I'm just thinking to myself, okay, I have a timeshare. I wanted to manifest it, but you know, I'm only one person going going and you know just doing manifestation in the sense of where I think abundance and wealth is really just having anything you need in the moment of when you need it that's really to me what wealth is and so I made a phone call to the to the timeshare and they didn't have any availability and all these other things whatever and I just said you know what someone's going to answer the phone today and that person's going to be able to help me and I just manifested okay it's just me by myself so this is kind of crazy but I just manifested a four-bedroom presidential suite in Scottsdale, Let's I don't go. pay any money at all. Let's go. And I Let's literally go. have my household token where the lady was like, there's no taxes. Or I'm like, so what's the fee for me even as a member? She's like, oh, it's zero. And I'm like, so I'm going to be like the crazy lady in Scottsdale going over to Camelback during the week, back and forth to this amazing event. But it's still one of those things that actually, I don't know where you are, but there's actually a VIP <laughs> event on Tuesday night of that week. So maybe you might want to pop into that if you're in that area, but it's still, it's like, it's really, really amazing in the sense of where you have this opportunity to be able to have this thing of where you just kind of put it out and you just say, you know what, mm -hmm. I'm going to have what I need when I need it. All I needed was a tiny little studio, right? 
But instead, no, it's a four bedroom presidential. It'll just be me trolling and skipping and dancing around there by myself. So I think you'll <laughs> have a guess, awesome. Barbie. You, Barbie, you know, I'm based out of Phoenix, right? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you're in town and you want to, you want to connect or link up, or I'm not sure what event you're going to, but I'm not sure if it's relevant to me in any way, shape or form, but if you want to share that information. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. You and I, we need to, we need to connect then. Yeah. I literally live about yeah, 15 minutes away from Scottsdale. So. Cool. And Barbara's mm -hmm. got four bedrooms to uh, go around. So. <laughs> yeah. You got three place to stay now. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's hilarious. That's fantastic. Beautiful. I think that's that's a perfect example, Barbie, of having a wealth mindset of, you know what? What I need is going to be there when I need it. Yes. And that's that's beautiful. And uh, it really sets the whole scene for, you know, the wealth mindset. Um, and it's it's the same with anything, you know, happiness, relationships, all of that. Trusting that, trusting the process and trusting that whatever you need is going to be there when you need it. That's beautiful. Thank you, Barbie. Really appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's just, it talks about everything because I agree with you in the sense of where it is literally, it's like, I did an interview the other day with the Lit Magazine Global Worldwide, the, all the CEO women. And it's like, Everybody was talking about the fact we don't have to sit around and fight over the eight slices of the pie. There, each of us has our own pie and we can pick whatever flavor it is. We can put whatever toppings are on it. And that's the part too. It's like, if we go out there and know that there's enough for everybody, we're not all basically fighting over this scarcity mindset. We all yeah. have the opportunity to multiply it in such a beautiful way. And I love heart Center conscious entrepreneurs because all of us, when we come from heart center and we wanna be servant leaders and we wanna be of service to other people, it just exponentially multiplies and we magnetize all these beautiful people around the planet. And this is really a beautiful place. And we, there are beautiful people and so many people with beautiful hearts. And I think, you know, just setting that intention that we're all going to find each other. And I think that's amazing. So thank you for the interview today. It was a great one. I was multitasking if you guys can hear, but it's like, you know, woo it's like, you know, what would it take for everybody to get what they want when they need it, how they want it, anything in the way that clear to you. Thank you, Barbie, yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll take that to heart for sure. <laughs> well, awesome. uh, thank you, everybody, for hanging in for so long and uh, hanging with us and uh, engaging, and it's been a beautiful conversation. And, uh, yeah, Cam, I agree. It's uh, been a lovely energy today, and uh, it's been amazing to have you on, Zach. We had to work a I little a bit for it. fantastic time. Yeah, I mean, you guys work, have been work great. hard for it, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, now we know that we need to do it again. So uh, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll schedule up and line up some more uh, discussions with you. So appreciate that, and uh, everybody. Thank you for bringing all your beautiful energy as always. And um, well, we'll uh, see you next time. All right, have a good one. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you could feel the energy of the group there as we move through those discussions and uh, that you garnered some uh, new information, some new tips, tricks and uh, concepts for yourself to integrate within yourself. Just know that any wealth mindset that you have and that you feel comfortable with and that you resonate with is perfectly good it's all within our own uh, journeys as we move through uh, all we're trying to do here at the alchemy experience podcast is to give a different perspective and uh, 
give our listeners something to ponder and reflect on. At the end of the day, the abundance mindset is whatever makes you feel rich in your life, what fills your life with riches, whether that being love, relationships, uh, experiences, materialistic wealth, whatever it may be to you, that is absolutely perfect for you. Now what resonates today might not resonate tomorrow and that might not resonate the day after that. So as long as we stay flexible and dynamic in our approach to our experiences and uh, our authenticity, then uh, we move through and we learn and we grow. If you'd like to discuss these uh, concepts further or a little bit more in depth, uh, we are always available to you here at thealchemyexperience.co.uk. If you go to our website, you will find a button where you can book a 30-minute free consultation with us and uh, we'll see what we can do and you can discover if we're the right place to explore these aspects within yourself. Well, we hope you enjoyed this experience with us today and hope to see you back here next Friday for a new episode of the Alchem Experience podcast. Thank you and have a great one.